Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Edgar Allan Potpourri. Want to freshen up your bleak existence? Try new Edgar Allan Potpourri, the avant-garde line of room-freshening essence. With new scents like Annabelle Lemon, Rose Gold Bug, and Cherry Pit in the Pendulum, you'll be able to fend off that gothic sense of impending death, and you'll smell great doing it. Quoth the Raven, this room smells fantastic. Edgar Allan Potpourri, patent pending. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One, fly ball, deep left center. Press him on the run. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Have a Braves have given you a championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. I'm Back to right center. And the Braves have won. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. It is your hosts, Dylan and Doc, joining you again for another week and another good week of Braves baseball as this team just continually gives us good things to talk about. Doc, how are you enjoying your week, sir? Uh, so far, it's been fantastic. It's been uh, you're right. There's absolutely absolutely been some really good baseball. This is a uh, this is a fun week for me. It's a good week for my interests, uh, not just the, the Braves doing well. It's draft week. Uh, I found out that uh, that I have a new album coming out on the on the day of the draft. And uh, yeah, all, every kind of everywhere I look, I'm kind of enjoying everything. And I got to I was doing game coverage for Talking Chop last night during the during the Camargo walk off. So I was uh, I was kind of wary. I was kind of tired watching that game. And uh it was worth staying up for, man. It was great. It's been just when I think that I can't say any more fun things about how much I love this team. They go and they, they pull off two, two walk-offs in two days. It's great. Hold on. You got an album coming out? Yes. I, uh, my, my dear friend, Andrew and I, we have, uh, we've been making music together for uh, 15 years, somewhere around there. And um, we have a new, uh, a new album coming out called Hello Jello. 
I mean, you haven't ever really mentioned it on the podcast. Why don't you tell the listeners, buddy? Let them know. Uh, let them know what they what they need to search for to find your album. Uh, this particular project is under the name Aviator A V eight R. It's uh, I always struggle when I get to the to the part where I have to categorize it. It's kind of like uh, <laughs> funky electronic. It's like um, really badass elevator music. It's kind of like. Um, funky electronic you know what how about this it comes out on the fourth uh, after a, a flurry of uh draft tweets and information which i will surely uh annoy the crap out of everybody with on the fourth through the sixth i will start throwing up links for that and uh you know you can tell me if you love it hate it or or anywhere in between but i love it so, but uh, hopefully uh, everyone else will too that is outstanding and another good news before we get really before we get caught up in the Braves talk, uh, some other some other news for the podcast. And if, uh, if you want to take us on the go and be able to listen to us in the car at work or whatever, um, now you can listen to us on the Podbean app. Just download the the Podbean Podbean app, search for the Platinum Sombrero. You'll be able to find us and take us wherever you go. Uh, so another outstanding outlet that uh, that decided to pick us up. There we go. We are we're mobile. We can go with you wherever you want to go. We are rocking and rolling over here, bringing you nothing but the best. Now, mm-hmm. <laughs> Doc mentioned Camargo's walk off and how because he was uh, because he was the guy chosen to do the review of the game, he had to sit through what for the most part was a slog of a game. Ender hits a a triple to tie the game, and then bottom of the ninth, Johan Camargo gets to play the hero. And fitting fittingly enough, you put out an article earlier yesterday talking about the evolution of Johan Camargo and what a, a different type of player we're seeing this year as opposed to last year and what a much more well-rounded player he was. And if we're going to start talking about the Braves, I think it's only fitting to talk about yesterday's hero. He's a guy that while the, the surface number isn't there, the average, he's sitting around 254. That's certainly not where he was a year ago. Everything else, literally everything else, all of his underlying stats are showing a a very above average hitter or what should be a very above average hitter. Uh, his, his hard contact rate is through the roof. I believe it would, I think was it number nine in the league? If he were to qualify, I think, uh, I think he'd be sitting at ninth in the league there. He's number three on the Braves in terms of his exit velocity, averaging about n- almost 91 miles an hour. Um, uh, He's he's cut down his ground ball rate and exchanged ground balls for fly balls. His line drive rate is still standing strong and he's put on. He seems to have gotten even bigger. We talked about it last year before even before we started the show, just you and I talking about how much bigger he looked from the minors where he put on probably 30 to 40 pounds of muscle. Seems he did the same thing in the offseason. He tore up the AFL, showed a ton of power there, and he's just hit into a ton of bad luck this season. But hopefully with that home run yesterday, we can start to see some turnaround. Well, yeah. And as there had been a, a section of the fan base that was calling for him to be the starter all along. So when, when Flaherty was getting starts, when, when Camargo was, uh, was on the disabled list to, to start the year, then that made a little more sense. And then the, the Batista thing. And then once Batista got released, then they said, all right, we've been looking at some of these stats underneath the surface to look at what what is happening with Camargo and we're just going to give him a shot to run with it. And so he's you could tell just just the traditional eye test. You can look at him and say, this guy's a different player. He was going up in 2017. He was swinging at everything and some sometime looking looking kind of foolish doing it. And 
he was lucky enough to have a, a Babbitt that sustained it and make it look like he was having a better year than he might actually have deserved, for lack of a better term. Uh, his walk rate was under 5%. He was striking out 20% of the time. But you could see not only did he add a ton of muscle, you know, when home run videos of home runs were surfacing from him playing in the Dominican League, I mean, and he was just crushing these, and he was crushing a lot of them too. And he, so he's gone from like a slap hitter to kind of somewhere power, and he still can tap into power whenever he wants it, but he's got – he, he's got a 48% hard hit contact rate. He's, he's cut his soft contact in half. I mean, he's just, he's so interesting. Like I, I knew that when I started writing this article, I was going to find out some, some things about how he had changed. And I just, I was kind of lukewarm on him before. Like, yeah, he's going to be a placeholder for Riley, whatever. Like I am full bore for, for Camargo being, being the guy for the foreseeable future, you know? And I, you know, I mean, this is not just playing up for radio. You and I have talked for almost a year now. I've been on the Camargo train for, for pretty much that entire time. I've been one of those calling for Camargo to start because of, of what he brings you. And I've I've said this before. Some people will, com- will comp him to Omar Infante, and that's a good comp. I comp him a lot more to Martin Prado. Um, like Prado, he's a guy that lives hitting in the gaps and – I think Johan's going to have more power than Martin, but even if he doesn't consistently get into that power, he's a guy who's going to live gap to gap, hard hit, line drive types. And he's a very versatile guy who I I think could handle the outfield if you trained him at. I don't think it would take him long at all. Um, but as it is at third base, right now he provides outstanding defense at third base. You you touched on the the plate discipline alone. He's walking an incredible amount. He's only hitting 254, but his OBP is almost 400. He's slugging. He's hitting the ball hard. And when he gets hits, they tend to be extra base hits, which is an outstanding thing. And because Ozzy is hitting for so much power at second base, I think people get kind of stuck into this rut of you have to have a power hitting third baseman, which it's nice. But generally speaking, you want the power hitting third baseman because generally you have a power hitting first baseman, a power hitting right fielder or a power hitting left fielder, one of the two. And then your third baseman. Well, for the Braves, you've got Freddie Freeman as your power hitting first baseman. Ozzy is without a doubt a power hitting second baseman. And then we expect Acuna to be the power hitting left fielder, uh, maybe right field, maybe in the future, but most likely he'll be he'll probably shift over right once Christian Pache is ready. Um, but with with Ozzy showing the the level of power that he is. It kind of takes some pressure off of Camargo. He doesn't necessarily have to be a 20 home run guy to give you a good starters acumen over there. And that's not to say that he's going to hold down the job because I do believe that the Braves view Austin Riley as the future as they should. If he continues his pace, we're going to talk about Austin Riley in just a bit because there's still there's still a couple things that are kind of getting lost in the insane start to the year he's had. But Speaking purely on Camargo right now, you talk about the low BABIP that he's sporting right now. Uh, he had an unsustainably high one a year ago. Well, this year, it's kind of an unsustainably low BABIP for somebody that hits the ball as hard as he does and who hits the ball in the air as often as he does. So when that kind of mitigates itself out, he's I believe he's a career, oh, I want to say a career 338 or 340 BABIP type of guy. So let's let's just play the round it down game and round him down to 320, all of a sudden you're going to see a guy that's a 275 to 285 type of hitter and a guy that I think can give you, you know, 16 home runs. 
And there, you're right. There's a ton of value in that. Plus, what he, he adds on defense. Uh, Statcast clocked him at uh, 92 miles per hour from third base. I mean, Insane that's faster cannon. than Julio throws. Insane cannon. Yeah, that's that's nuts. So, not every prospect has to be a superstar. You know, we we get lo- lost in this because we we've got to see all these come up and he was 15th ranked by pipeline and, and Acuna was, was number one for every single publication, you know, and we, we expect all of these guys to, to come up and, and hit 300 and, you know, tiny little second baseman who's, who's leading the league in home runs and all of these, these crazy outlandish stories. We, we love stories like that, but what gets lost in the shuffle is that sometimes these guys come up and they're just really quality role players. Yohan Camargo might never make an all-star game, but he will definitely help win you some games. And if if this is the placeholder for Austin Riley or or whatever it winds up being with it's him, a heck of I mean, a placeholder. I, I'm I'm more than comfortable to have Camargo be be the guy at third for now, and maybe let Riley get overseason. You know, he doesn't have to rush up. And I mean. It's fun to play the trading game because it's, it's always fun to play GM and put your GM hat on. Uh, and generally speaking, when you're talking about players that are already in the majors, the grass, t- I've noticed this a lot more the last couple of years, especially with me. I am not immune to this. I, I myself do this a lot. The grass seems to always be greener on the other side when you're talking about prospects or when you're, t- when you're talking about other teams, players, not necessarily prospects. Cause we all get caught up in our own prospect hype. Um, but you, you take a look around the league, and you're like, ooh, we could upgrade at third base, or ooh, we could upgrade in the bullpen. Well, I am I am 100% saying that I think Camargo is Martin Prado. I think he's the same type of player. He's followed the same type of career path where it was a very unknown prospect who was not expected to do even what he's doing right now. Um, he's come up. He's an energizer. The, the team absolutely rallies around Johan. You can see that just by – the way he he interacts with the rest of the infield, um, he's got a much stronger arm than Martin, uh, but he's versatile enough to play all over the place. Again, I I would agree, his best role is probably as a super utility guy, um, but that's that's not to demean Johan at all. If you were to say that I'm not, how can I word this? I think penultimately, you hope he's your super utility guy. And that's more a mark on you of what you hope the depth of the team is. I don't think he's a, a replacement level starter. I think he's a, a, a slightly above average type of starter. Maybe not enough to make an all-star game. I, I think you're right there. Um, he might be able to, in consistent starts, he might be able to make one or two in his peak years. Um, but over the course of time, you look at him like a Ben Zobras type, that type of role, where you're getting him in the lineup pretty much every day just for his bat alone and his defensive versatility. There is a ton of value in those type of guys. I mean, if you're talking about a one and a half to two war player, that that is outstanding value. And it, yes, it gives you a trade chip, but even better, those are types of guys that you need to have on your team to be a legitimate World Series type of team. You need to have guys who may not necessarily start every game, like your Marwin Gonzalez types, who can come around, play everywhere, and you don't really lose anything when they start. And I think that a lot of people kind of take the term super utility. They, they almost perceive it as an insult a little bit because they start thinking of, you know, there's a big difference between a utility guy and a super utility guy. Like Emilio Bonifacio is a utility guy. Right. Martin Prado is a super utility, you know, like legitimately able to 
you to, to go and start a game and left if you need them to. You play anywhere on the infield, including first base. You know, Camargo could probably catch if you asked him to. That that might be a little much, but you know what I mean. And and being able to to fill in and not be a huge step down from from average production at any of these spots. Just very happy to see him uh, continue to evolve. And I and like I said, I was not, I was not the high man on him. I thought because I, I remember like he was ranked nineteenth in the in the Braves system. Even when it still sucked, we're talking like in the Christian Bethancourt, Lucas Sims. One, yeah, where two Lucas days. Sims was like your number two prospect. Yeah, the, the, those were dark times, and uh, so when he started coming up, I'm like, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have the track record for this. Some of this is flukish, and now I'm looking at it going, uh, I don't know. I think some of this, I think a lot of this could could really be real. So yeah, it's nice to see, man. And it's always nice when Chipper Jones comes out and says that he's that you're his favorite player to watch or you're the guy that he thinks has has developed the best or developed the most. That's always a that that should be a nice little clue in there. Uh, if somebody the caliber of Chipper Jones looks at a player and says this guy is the guy that has improved the most and this is the guy that I enjoy watching, that should be a little tell. Um, and it, it, it's one of those things where and we're going to have to move off of, of Camargo here because we spent almost 10 minutes talking about Camargo, but I could keep talking about him forever at the moment. And this is going to sound sacrilegious and set a lot of people off on me at the moment right now today. He's more valuable to the Atlanta Braves than Dansby Swanson. I'm sorry. That sounds crazy. I understand that. Um, and I'm not saying it will always be this way. Uh, I'm just saying as of today, what is it? May 20, May 30th, May 30th. Mm-hmm. Johan Camargo is at this point a better major league or a more valuable major league player than Dansby Swanson. Now, by the end of the season, it's probably going to change. Um, but Camargo's versatility is, is a powerful force on this team. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, as you alluded to with Austin Riley, uh, Johan Camargo is considered the placeholder. And Austin Riley has done nothing to dissuade people from that. Uh, he's a young kid who has been absolutely destroying the minor leagues. Uh, showing a ton of power, hitting the ball hard. We've talked about this ad nauseum about just the the dedication he's put into actually developing his body the way it needs to be developed to now play a very competent third base. And if he keeps up at this current pace, you might see a guy that becomes not only an average defender, but becomes an above average defender over at third base with all the power in the world. You could be looking at the Braves version of Josh Donaldson. And I don't want to hype that up on him to like right now because Josh Donaldson since 2012 is like the third most valuable player in the league. He averages almost seven F war per year. Um, but that's that's the type of that is the the type of upside that you get in Austin Riley is a guy who can definitively go out there and hit you 30 home runs. Now, before everybody thinks it's all roses and, and, and cream over here, he does have a few tendencies that are kind of being masked by the 312 average and, and the power and all the, the extra base hits that you're seeing and the the flashy plays. He's striking out at over a 30% clip right now in AAA. That's one of the reasons that I don't want to rush a call-up, and that's why talk of trading for a, fir- a third baseman if you're in contention is a real talking point. You'll have some people uh, in the Braves media – some people that don't necessarily pay as close attention as they should to the full stat lines or the actual numbers behind a player and just look at surface numbers. 
um, because he hasn't walked a whole lot this year. I believe he's sitting at about 8% walks, which is not horrible, uh, but with a 30% strikeout clip, that's not the ratio you want to see. Um, there is There are numbers to support that it might be best to leave Riley down there for a little bit. And it's if, if the Braves are, are still in first or within striking distance of first, there's a few players out there that aren't going to cost you a whole lot or are going to be a price that you can stomach because you're trading from depth. And they aren't going to quote-unquote block Riley because they're not long-term investments. And we've talked about them a lot. Mike Moustakis, uh, was it $6.5 million this year? There's a $15 million mutual option. Uh next year, which if he plays to the level that you would hope he'd play, he's going to decline. And if he doesn't, you're going to decline. No biggie. Uh, and with the Royals, probably wouldn't cost a whole lot since their their rebuild needs a ton of help. They need a ton of pitching help. Um, I talk about Scooter Jeanette all the time. Uh, he would probably cost a fair bit right now because the Reds no longer have Walt Jockety as a GM, so they'd probably look for peak value. And Jed Jerko from the Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals have a ton of guys who are third base slash second base players right now. Uh, it, it might take a little bit to prime away, but Jerko's only only making $13 million this year, uh, $13 million next year, or $9 million this year, $13 million next year, and then there's a team option in 2020 for $13 million. And that's another guy like we talk about who's versatile to play all over the place and gives you big-time power. So the Braves have a ton of options right now. And I'm not saying that Camargo and Riley aren't the best option. They may very well be the best option. All I'm saying is... If you get to the All-Star break and you're still you're still within, let's say, within three games uh, in 30 days from now, the Braves have, have basically, there's, there's not really a wrong move they can make. They have a ton of direction they can go in. No, and, you know, this next little stretch is going to determine a lot. We, we, we all looked at this little this little bit on the calendar and we're saying, okay, Phillies, Red Sox, Mets, Nationals. If you break even, and if you can split that, I mean, what, what does it wind up being? 14 games. If you can go seven and seven in that, then you're golden, you know, because everybody's going to hit rough patches. Everybody's going to, going to have these really tough times where you're playing good teams. Braves have, played one of the toughest schedules. Things are about to get easier. If they can, if they can take care of business and this could be a, this could wind up being a really, really good thing. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they could still be, be in the lead by a couple of games or be within striking distance. And we kind of touched on this uh, a little bit last week with Garav, a friend of the program, Garav Vidak, about how much more production are you going to get out of somebody like Mustakis than if you're going to call up Riley and bank on him, or if you're going to, um, if you're going to roll with Camargo and, and the, the trade deadline is not for two more months. So there's, there's a whole lot more. We're the halfway point between the beginning of the season and the trade deadline. Like right now we're right in the, right at the very center of it. Did so I say trade deadline? A, I should have said, oh, I, th- I thought I said all-star break. Oh, well, I mean, we're, so I we're 55 or 60%, you know, we're, it's, we're, we're right. We're right there, you know? So I still think the bullpen is the more glaring weakness when you I have agree. an offense. I mean, you, you add Moustakis and yeah, he, he could be that X factor. And then the Braves go from a, a 90 win team to a 98 win team. And that's the difference between being a wild card and, and having home field advantage with the playoffs. That's huge. But 
the bullpen is still going to be the thing to focus on. So if you call up Evan Phillips and you get Kelvin Herrera instead of Moustakis, I, I think that could be a, a better way to go. Um, but even the team has actually seemed pretty energized, even without having Acuna in the lineup after that gnarly thing, whatever, however he no, his leg. I have no idea how he did not shred his ACL. That was That was a textbook ACL shredding move right there. Uh, I've I, seen I've seen both staffs that don't bow out that much. Like right. it was it was disgusting. I mean that's basically the same thing that ended Marcus Lattimore's football career. Mm-hmm. And but but this team conti- continues to play well. He he was he's like an X factor type. So he's eligible to come off the DL on June eighth. And that right there, like that is kind of like acquiring a big talent. Even you know if if Culberson or Tucker or Peterson or whoever's going to wind up playing left field is able to hold it down and not just completely shit the bed, then Acuna could be that big offensive upgrade that, that you'll need to, to be that next push. It doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that you have to give up a lot of assets for. And you mentioned holding the place there, and I'm glad you brought that up because Dan Winkler has been incredible. We're going to talk about him in a little bit, but the Braves did just call up another minor league guy and Dustin Peterson to make his debut. This is the part where I'm a little annoyed at Snicker. I don't want to take a whole lot away from him because hating on Brian Snicker is kind of the, the kitsch thing to do. It's kind of the easy thing to do. But for whatever you want to say about him, the Braves play harder for that man than they have for any manager since Bobby. Uh, it's a much different Braves team than the one that played under Freddie Gonzalez. Uh, you can't ever count the Braves out of a game under under Snicker. They all go to bat for him, as you might recall from Nick Markakis threatening to beat the crap out of John Hart. Um, <laughs> he he inspires loyalty in the troops, and it's because I've I've met him. He's an extremely genuine guy, just an, one of the nicest guys around the game. He's extremely humble about it. Uh, he's he is the definition of a player's coach, but. Th- he he gets in these little ruts where a guy performs on a particular day, like Charlie Culberson hitting his walk off a couple days ago. And because he delivered in that instance, all of a sudden you start, he starts thinking this guy needs to be starting every day. That makes no sense to me. Why you would even call up Dustin Peterson to sit on the bench. I think you and I can both agree that Charlie Culberson should be best left getting one at bat a game in a clutch situation in the ninth inning, because that's the only time Charlie Culberson hits is clutch situations. And if you were to give yeah. him his clutch factors through the roof, his regular factor is down through the basement. No. And, and I, I don't think that Culberson is a starter long-term. The fact that he was uh, primarily an infielder and he's playing in the outfield, um, that kind of curious to me, he was the spark play. He scored the first and second runs, or he drove in the first run in the game last night against the Mets, uh, score the second, and then score the fourth. You know, like he, he's got some spark plug-esque tendencies. He, this is a guy that has a habit of coming up when it matters. Three of his seven career home runs have been walk-offs, not to mention he also it was hitting out of his mind in the playoffs last year. This dude is not the answer long-term. I don't, I don't hate the fact that, that he's playing because – Part of the reason I think that he was largely ineffective earlier in the season is because he was getting one at bat every five games. It's hard to stay sharp, as you're seeing with Preston Tucker now, who his playing time has been limited since Acuna came up. And 
he's not really doing that well for himself anymore, even after this hot start. Now, as it pertains to Peterson, this is this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. Like we we've seen all these in Acuna and Soroka and Gahara, you know, like these are really highly touted consensus top thirty prospects in in the whole game, not just in the system, but like league wide are coming up and they're immediately getting thrust in. Like when Ozzy came up, he was in the lineup immediately. When Acuna came up, he's starting from then on. Soroka, you know, they they weren't gonna send him they still haven't sent him down technically. He got hurt. And uh you know, Gahara was dealing with, uh, he was working through rehab stuff. So when you look at Peterson, Peterson's way down on the food chain. Like he's 15th rank in the system. Now, would he be type 10 in somebody else's system? Sure. He'd probably be top five in Miami coming into the season before they traded everybody off. But it does say a lot for the fact that they called him up instead of Danny Santana, which is who copy would have called up. Peter Borges, who already has experience playing for the Braves up at this level this year. I mean, the, there are some some other options they could have called up. The fact that they called Peterson up, he's not the type of guy that you're going to play service time games with. You're not looking at the Super 2 deadline for for calling him up. I, I do wish that he'd get a start here and there, but just being able to be there, like he – he's already got so many great stories to tell about this. Like his very, very first game, he got his first at bat at one thirty in the morning. Tried to walk uh, to his, first base on the third ball. Oh yeah. And was that familiar that was pitching? I, yes. I think it was just look mad as hell, you know? So, um, I just, then, then for, for his second game, he, he winds up being part of a, this massive walk-off celebration. You know, so he's getting his feet wet. He's just doing it in a, in a slightly more unconventional manner. So, I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm really, really intrigued by the move. I wish he would get some playing time. I'm sure that he'll wind up getting at least one one start before this whole thing is all over. But well, let me let me clarify my stance. I don't think Peterson personally. If, if I were to make a a a way too early assumption on the future of Dustin Peterson. I don't necessarily think he's a starter at the big league level. I think he's a fourth outfielder type as it pertains right now. He could eventually develop into an average starter, but he's, he's not to the level of Acuna or or Juan Soto. Obviously few guys are, uh, I don't think he's at the same level as a Brandon Nimmo was, uh, before he really came up and really what Brandon Nimmo still is. He still hasn't really played a whole lot, but to me, you already know what Culberson is. Culberson's what, 30, 31? He's not he's not gonna get better. Dustin Peterson, there's still something to find out there about what you actually have in Dustin Peterson. Whether he's a guy who could eventually become a Nick Marcakis type of player, is a guy who can sneakily provide a lot more value than you would think just by by watching him normally. Now he's not the defender Marcakis is. Not by a long shot, but he's made great strides in the field, as you saw in spring training. And he acquitted himself really well in spring training. So I I don't like the move calling him up and then Snicker immediately saying he's going to be on the bench and that Culberson is going to be the one getting the platoon and getting most of the time with Tucker. I don't like that at all. I I think that I, I, I think that is a different move. I think that's one where and thought Alex was hoping that uh, without trying to tell Snicker who he has to play, 
think he was hoping that Snicker would play Dustin Peterson so you can kind of find out what you have in there uh, because you don't figure it's going to really be any worse than what the other two are going to give you right now. But we'll see what happens. Maybe once Culberson kind of reveals himself to what all of us tend to already know, that he's best served as, as a non-starter, then maybe Dustin will get some playing time. Maybe Maybe it's Snicker trying to ease Dustin Peterson into it without – kind of putting any pressure on him for for a prospect that is not to the same level as the guys you mentioned that were top 30 in the game. And that, that could very well be it. Generally, I don't think Snicker thinks about things like that. I think he's I think he's a wonderful, very genuine person. I don't think he plays little mind games like that. And if he thought something like that, he's pretty good with the media to actually tell you what he's thinking. It shocks a lot of the media members, so they think that he's kind of like lying. But he, he pretty much just tells you what he's thinking at the moment. It might not be the smartest or most analytical thing that he's thinking, but he'll tell you what he's thinking. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, this sounds like complaining for the sake of complaining. It's a good problem to have right now that my biggest complaint with Atlanta is, A, Sam Freeman is going to need like a mechanical arm implanted before the season is over, and B, that you're – replacement outfielder for your super stud who's going to be back in a week to two weeks at most uh, <laughs> is, is should be a different guy should be starting. And maybe, maybe there's more under the surface that, that we don't see to this move. Maybe Alex thought the, that the best thing to do is like completely out of the realm of, of prospect status, just say this guy is a better option to have on your bench than Peter Borges or Danny Santana. I don't care who Offensively, he is. there's no question. Right. So, but it's entirely possible that he brought him up, that, that this isn't snicker at work. Maybe, I mean, I would imagine that there's a decent level of communication between the manager and the GM. And if there's not, then I have some questions. But, you know, and maybe, maybe it's just kind of one of those, we're going to have this guy up here. And Peterson just came off an injury. Maybe this is like a phantom DL stint. Or, or or something. Who knows? Who even knows? Not me. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I I like Peterson. I like his game. I think that that who he showed he was in 2016 is, is much better than uh, than who he was in 2017. Like he probably could have made the made the team as a fourth out, outfielder uh, coming out of spring training in 2017 if he hadn't broken his broken his hand. So. I mean, he played very well in spring training. The defense. That's that's the thing. He's been known as a guy who has a pretty good bat. Nobody's ever called him elite at really anything, but he hits the ball hard. Uh, he's more of a line drive than a home run type of guy, as evidenced by his minor league numbers. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard to tell how much power he's actually going to have because he has missed, what is he, 25? He's 23. 23, okay. So he's a little bit younger than I thought. But even so, he's younger than, than a lot of the other guys that the Braves have called up. But he's actually missed almost two seasons now. So he actually has a little bit more upside than a lot of the other 23 year olds are. Cause you don't know what his actual developmental power is because coming back from a ham eight, it, you're not going to hit for power after breaking your ham eight like that, that year you're not hitting for power. Uh, and I believe he was, he had a pretty nasty concussion uh, from the bus crash, the Carolina Mudcats bud cr- bus crash that messed with Lucas Sims. If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. that is correct. And uh, I was, I was shocked in spring training about how well he played defensively. Uh, if he can show that he can be, because he don't forget he was a third baseman when he was in the Padres system. He was not a left fielder. The Braves moved him to left field because 
they thought that they had some other third base prospects, including Austin Riley. So they moved him to left field because they thought he would be a guy that would move quickly through the system. And I think you're dead on. If he hadn't gotten hurt, I do think he would have he would have debuted at some point last season. Um, so may, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe this is a a case of of the Braves needing if Tucker's going to play a lot of time in the field while Acuna is injured. Dustin Peterson makes for a better pinch hit when you need some power off the bench rather than, you know, somebody like Culberson or since major league baseball is weird and they won't let you, you won't use your backup catcher for a pinch hit appearance, which is crazy to me, but whatever, um, I guess traditions, but, uh, you make some valid points on it. And like, I'm not the highest on Dustin Peterson, but I am excited to see what he can do because it seems like the Braves have come up aces and it could be that it's just because the Braves have come up aces on every prospect so far and all of them are either meeting expectations or exceeding them, uh, except for maybe Lucas Sims and Max Freed. But for the most part, for most people, they've, they've played very well. Uh, so I, I could be running the mill here and it, 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 it's just uh it's one of those things where I question this the decision. I don't necessarily think it's a horrible decision. I just, that's one of those that makes me kind of shake my head a little bit. But well, Snicker has um, <laughs> Smithers. I'm beginning to think that Brian Snicker is not the brilliant tactician I once thought he was. Right. Um, th- this year, like in, there have been less kind of I hate to use this word, but less bonehead decisions. I was that you just see this about year. to say that. Well, and and you, the biggest thing to me, it's not Snit, it's, it's Walt Weiss. Weiss, it's Eric Young, it's guys around it because he's got better people around him. And all of a sudden, like I don't think that he just suddenly became a better manager overnight, but like he's got a better decision making team. Say what you will about Terry Pendleton and, and Eddie Perez, like you can see the difference in this team between Eddie Perez and Eric Young. Eric Young is low key the MVP of this entire organization for what the work that he has done over the first third of this season. It is amazing to see guys going first to third, being aggressive. Ender has already sold on like 20 bases. He's it's, it's impressive to see. So like having a better coaching staff can mask a lot of bad decision-making. Cause if you're bouncing ideas, if you're not just surrounded by yes, men, you're bouncing ideas off of then If you have a dumb idea, of course they're going to tell you it's okay. So I, I don't know. I, I think that that uh, I mean, Snit is certainly not not without his his questionable decisions. And when when the stuff that he does goes right, like calling calling Matt Whistler in to pitch against Mookie Betts, that was a bad move. <laughs> calling right? Matt, Matt Whistler to pitch four innings against the Mets, where he only gave up two runs over four innings. That actually, in hindsight, looks like a pretty good move. The idea of bringing Matt Whistler in is way scarier than what actually happens when you bring Matt Whistler in. Unless you're facing Mookie Betts. Unless you're facing Mookie Betts. But, I mean, who's to say that if he brought in Shane Carl or Dan Winkler, that they would have also given up a home run to Mookie Betts? I'm hearing, now correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm hearing that Mookie Betts is an entirely decent baseball player. Can you confirm? He seems to be... Okay. Yeah. He yeah, seems to be trending he's, towards the okay. Um, he's up there with that Mike Trout fellow right now, um, which I, I guess that means he's serviceable. Um, like, 
I guess that's good company. But but that brings me to a different point. We'll talk about – I don't know if we're going to get to a point about talking to Shane Carl today because it's a whole nother. I want to see what he's going to do for the rest of this week before making a, making a statement on him. But I, I meant to bring this up last week with Garav, and it totally slipped my mind because I talk a lot and I don't really get to all the points I want to talk to. But my point is, with the Braves playing the way they are, and they're at this point they're on pace for 96 wins, I don't think there's any way that Brian Snicker is not the manager of this team. If the Braves make the playoffs, forget winning the division. If the Braves make the playoffs, I don't think that Brian Snicker gets replaced. That was something that that our very first episode, uh, Gabe Burns was saying. You asked him whether or not you thought Snip would be back, and he said, "I, you know, I have to give the political answer of we'll see." But how are you? You know, what if the team goes out and wins eighty six? And we all just laughed and said, huh, "There's Gabe no Burns way ended up being a prophet. 86. He's been uh, he's been right on quite a few things, right? And he and he's right though because so everybody." You know, let's say that Anthopolis wants to go get uh, John Farrell. Just first first name that comes to mind because he's he's not managing right now. Um, and then you you pull Snit out of this clubhouse. You go, we're already talking on this episode about Nick Markakis willing to go and beat the VP of Baseball Ops ass like on the record beating his ass. Freddie Freeman has talked so he's has been stumping for Snickers since the very beginning. Some of the, I mean, everybody in the organization loves him. No one has and a bad word gonna, to say. I mean, and if if guys are gonna, okay, if he's gonna make a bad bullpen decision, but then the the team is gonna play their hearts out for this guy. I mean, that is really the most important. Should he be making better decisions? Well, sure, but he's got better guys around him that are helping him with that, like we were just saying. So, if you have a team that never quits under the manager. That's huge. And if this guy who everybody likes takes the team to the playoffs, you really kind of don't have any reason to remove him. And it's almost one of those points where it doesn't matter if there are better managers out there because here, here's a little hint. There are um, Joe, sure. Girard, Joe Girardi right now is a better manager than Brian Snicker. But there is something to be said for the team and genuinely liking a specific manager. Now, Joe Girardi is a player's manager, uh, which is one of the reasons why, or he's not quite the same player's manager, actually, which is why he kind of fell out of favor in New York. So who's to say that with all of these young guys, Snickers, not the type of manager to get, this is going to sound really bad, but even with the boneheaded mistakes that he makes and he falls in love with the double switches where he where what was it the first two weeks it was nearly every single it was every single game he made a double switch at least until Acuna was brought up there was a double switch every single game um, but even through the flaws and the dumb mistakes and the questionable challenges or the questionable bullpen arms brought in we've talked about this before the Braves the Braves come back they've scored a hundred runs this season the seventh inning or later which is the highest in baseball behind it's either the highest in baseball or it's right behind like the Astros, Yankees and Red Sox, but it's, it's in the top five for sure. I think it's number one, but there's something to be said for that. Now, maybe if you can like, maybe if you can find a guy that's a good manager, but doesn't want to be the full-time manager and make those two co-managers, I would, I would like that even more. Um, but it, it's a real question. And, and, you were dead on. I'd forgotten that Gabe called that too. That first show we did with him seems just about everything he said has been coming up aces. He mentioned Preston Tucker about how electric he had been so far and how much everybody was liking the way he was looking. Um, 
it's going to be an interesting conundrum because most GMs want their guy. But if you take a team this young and you go ahead and go to the playoffs and your young players and your young team already loves him, I don't think you can make that move. No, because then then you're dealing with with players that, that feel like they're right on the verge. And I, I hate to, to bring up the, the C word here uh, now that Batista is no longer around. But if you start messing with team chemistry, like dun dun dun. You're, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. If there's anything we learned from Jose Bautista, so you're not supposed to mess with, with team chemistry. So if they, if everybody in the, the clubhouse, you know, this isn't going to be like 2014 going on to 2015 or 15 going into 16, where it's like you go from the 25 guys on the roster and then there's like six familiar names in the clubhouse the following year. I mean, most of the guys that are in there now are getting plugged back in next year. Say, you know, 19, 20 at a minimum. So if everyone but Marcakis and McCarthy and Moylan and Sanchez, right? Would you agree? Uh, and and maybe maybe there's a there's a trade that winds up getting getting made somewhere. Or Flowers Suzuki, I would be surprised if at least one of those guys is, isn't back next year. But you know, have have you ever had a crappy boss? A thousand. If you've ever, yeah. If you've ever had a crappy boss, it makes you appreciate having a good boss. So, so if you're if you're in a situation where it's like you feel like all we need, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to get this big free agent name, and then we're going to take the next step forward, but then we have to go back and redo everything, or we have to reestablish dynamics all around the clubhouse because we had a good thing figured out, but now everybody's just kind of chasing their tails, going. Who is this guy? I don't like the way he does things. Everybody likes the way that Snit does things in the clubhouse. And whether uh, people on Twitter like it or whether who whether you like it or I like it, whatever, and that doesn't matter. We can we can bitch and moan until we're blue in the face, but that doesn't matter. If the players like it, they're going to play better. They're going to play harder. They're going to win more. And that is what we will. Uh, that is what brings us all happiness, right? Exactly. So. That that is that you're right. That's all that matters. We're gonna move off that topic now um, because we're starting to run a little long in the tooth on the time. So before we get to uh, to our questions, Doc had a topic that he texted me today that I, I thought was a really interesting topic. So I'm gonna bypass some of the other ones. Uh, Braves All Stars. We all know what's gonna say. Vote in Ozzy. Vote in Freddie. Vote in Marcakis, who's earned it, and vote in Winkler. Blah blah blah. We can get that. Um, we can touch on that next week. I want to touch on the expansion topic that you brought together. That's a very interesting topic. I would love to see an expansion. Um, I'm assuming you would as well, but let's go ahead and you tell me, are you, are you in favor of expansion and when theoretically do you think that we could see it? I think you, you always hear Rob Manfred talking about, um, you know, we got to get these situations in Oakland and Tampa figured out. And, Tampa is just, it's just not a good enough market for it. It basically, we just uh, say Florida as a whole is, sucks for baseball. I mean, their, their state just sucks for baseball. Let's just admit it. Well, you have so many, such a transient population where it's like, how many Braves fans do you have in Florida? How many Yankees fans do you have in Florida right now? It, it's, that's a tough market to crack for, for brand new, brand new fans. And, and I hate it because, you know, it's, it's, you really want to see that work you, because being in Atlanta, there have been two hockey teams that stayed here for about a couple years apiece, and then they they get up and they go out. And you go to Calgary or you go to Winnipeg or whatever. So, um, I think 
I mean, it's 32 from a scheduling standpoint. I'm not one of these people that hates interleague play. I think it's interesting when the Braves play the Orioles. I think it's interesting when the, the Dodgers play the Tigers or whatever and creating some it's hard to create a rivalry when you only play somebody uh, for one series every three years. But I think it's interesting. I think that uh, Montreal certainly needs a team. You know, let's say that the the Rays move up to Montreal and they re-become the Expos. I think, I think that's good for baseball. Montreal got screwed out of their team. So what better revenge for than for Montreal to screw another city out of a team? I think that uh, I think Portland needs a team. I think that it would be a huge favor for the Mariners to keep them from having to fly. I mean, I would be amazed to see the amount of sky miles the Mariners players rack up. The closest team to them is the Giants, and that's that's a completely there. And the Giants are in the National League, so I, I I don't know. I think there needs to be a, another team in the Pacific Northwest. You could make a case for another team and. Another team in Texas, whether it's San Antonio. No, or, Texas doesn't uh, need any more. Texas gets enough stuff across pro sports. Well, Texas is huge. Texas I mean, and you, California you could also, have enough teams to field like an entire league. You could make a case where that you could put another team in New York if you really wanted to. But if we're just going geographically, size-wise, Texas Texas has the numbers. But there's also there's also been talk about putting a team in Mexico City, which um. Denver is mile high. Mexico, Mexico City is even City, higher. Yeah, it's 2,000 feet higher than Denver. So you want to get a guy who's hitting 80 home runs in a season? Go to Mexico City. Put a team there. But I, I, think, um, I think that there could be some, some realignment. You, know, you, look, you look back in 1993 when the Braves were battling the San Francisco Giants for the NL West title. And, and I think, yeah, when I think of the Braves, I certainly think of the West. Right. You know. You know, some of that, some of that doesn't make sense. And Houston is in the AL West right now. That doesn't make sense. So, so you could, you could segment it off. You could make it a little, um, a little more geographically logical, I suppose. I, I think, I think 32 is a good number, but if, what if it were up to you? So if you're Manfred and you can just not even approval from cities or whatever, like where, where would you put teams? Montreal definitely is going to get one. They're going to get one sooner or later. I disagree with your point that they got screwed out of their team. Um, They didn't feel like actually putting in an actual major league stadium that was worth anything. uh, And they didn't show up to games. So shocker of all shockers. That's what happens. Your team ups and leaves. Um, But I get your point. Montreal is a big city. They're clamoring to get baseball back now that they realize what they had. And now it's gone. So I, I agree. Montreal is going to get a team again. Uh, I think staying with the Canadian market, because I think that is the next avenue for baseball to grow. Uh, I I think Vancouver is a city that should get one. Uh, Vancouver fans are nuts about hockey. They don't really have anything else outside of hockey. So you give them another pro sport. They're an, out, they're an outstanding fan base. Uh, I think that that would be good. That's over there in the West portion of it as well. So it, mm-hmm. they've already got a place that they can play. Um, I agree with you on Portland. Uh, again, Portland fans are rabid, rabid fan base. Love everything that they have. They don't get a whole lot of pro sports, so that would be that would make a lot of sense for a whole lot of reasons. It gives you know another team out there in Pacific Northwest, but it gives you a, a built-in fan base that will right away come to all your games. And I really think that the South needs one more. So 
if Tampa or Miami, I think what I would do is I'd have Miami be the one that goes to either that would goes to one of the Canadian teams. So either Montreal or Vancouver, either one. Uh, or really any of their squads. They can go to Portland too, whatever. Uh, but I think both my, I think both Florida teams should be relocated. Uh, I think Florida should do without baseball because they are a very transient town. They don't show up well, and it's documented that they don't. You're talking about the Marlins as a team that they've won two World Series in the span of the Braves haven't been to a World Series, um, and their fans don't show up. So unfortunately to Ashley, I'm sorry, um, your team needs to be taken away. I'd like to see one in Nashville. Nashville's a booming city. Uh, it's, they call it Nash Vegas for a reason. I know it's close to the Braves. Uh, I, I think that would make a lot of sense as far as population, as far as as drawing in a crowd. I think that would do a good job. That would get uh, that would get some more eyes on it there, and I think a ton of people would go. Mexico would City, d- by the way. Let me talk about Mexico City. I agree in time. Mexico City should get a team. I don't like the idea of doing it right now. Um, I know the NFL is trying to do it, but they're also trying to put a team in London. That is just that the, for a baseball season, that's 162 games. That is a ridiculous travel schedule that you're going to have to do because if a team has to go play in Mexico city, you're obviously not going to go play in Mexico city, fly out. And then the next day play in another city, that's going to create a ton of scheduling conflicts. I think that's going to be one that needs to kind of be put on the back burner for a little bit. I'm sure it's in Rob Manfred's mind because if you talk about Canada, you want the Mexico market as well. Latin players are are, are in love with baseball, and you're trying to you're not going to beat soccer down there, but you're not really having to contend with the NFL. So it gives the uh, it gives the MLB a chance to really blow up down there and get some more viewership. I just kind of think that that's a bad move right now. No, I mean, and it's not just like a hop, skip, and a jump over the border. I mean, from from Atlanta, that's a uh, three and a half hour flight. You know, that's so if you're I mean, that's about what it takes to fly to Denver or uh, maybe maybe longer, you know, and that, that's from from somewhere that's relatively close in the south. So if you're the twins and you have to go and, and fly, I, I don't know that it's geographically that would be tough. And you run into the, some of the same hurdles that you do um, when you're dealing with Toronto, because every time you fly back into the country, you have to pass through customs or deal with this, this or that. And it, it, who, who knows that it's. It's an interesting pipe dream, but I, I I don't know if that would if that would actually work out. I think that there there are a lot more barriers to entry for Mexico City. What would you think about a team in Las Vegas? Not Nash Vegas, but actual Vegas. I'm always leery of that. Now, maybe if Oakland moves, I would put Oakland in Las Vegas, the same as the Raiders are going there. I don't know about just starting up a major league team there. I mean, it could work. You'll get a ton of sports gambling is a little bit different for baseball. Because there's so many games and the margins are always so small, you don't see as much in the gambling side on baseball as you do on basketball or football. Uh, but any sports gambling is going to bring in revenue, so I could see it happening for a revenue point of view. But again, in Vegas, you you have a lot to compete with to get them to actually show up to games. I mean, it's a lot harder to get somebody to show up to your game when they can watch your game on TV from the casino where they're trying to make extra money where they can watch seven or eight other games that they're betting on as well. That's why I'm going to be, I, I would, I would watch, I know it's worked for the Vegas golden Knights, but that's hockey. It's a totally different experience. I would look very closely at what happens when the Raiders and the NFL move to Las Vegas and see, I would watch very, very closely what goes on with their crowds, because I think for major league baseball right now, you aren't really, 
you aren't exploding as far as viewership and attendance. So I don't think you you can be like the NFL and take a risk that might not work. I just I have this weird thing where I'd like to see places that would appreciate the team more get the team first. And it doesn't make the most economical sense. I understand that. If you're talking about just pure money, which is ultimately what Major League Baseball cares about, it would obviously be Montreal, Mexico City, Las Vegas. Obviously, those three would be the biggest ones. I would just like to see these these places like Portland that are great fan bases. I want to see them get teams because I think you would grow the fan base of baseball exponentially and you'd, you'd grab a whole new group of people that you know they've they've got no one else to really watch. Agre- I'm agreed. I I think that uh, you you look at uh, place like, place like Vegas is is, is hard to uh, it's hard to gauge what what it's really going to be like once they get there. Now it's crazy going from everybody every league was kind of scared to put a team there for a couple of years to well the first year that the that the Knights were in the NHL they were they went to the Stanley Cup Finals. You're right, it is a different different experience but i mean that right there that is the type of thing that helps to get a fan base or any just sports fan just kind of a rabbit about having a team there and the raiders moving i mean it's the raiders so even whatever happens there might be a different type of story but i don't know i think that um i think vegas could be a good option i kind of i think it kind of splits the difference between denver and some of the california teams and if you get into a if you're aligning geographically then I think that that uh, that would actually make a lot of sense for for that particular region of the country more so than putting a team in like Salt Lake or Boise or you know Cheyenne, Wyoming. I mean, I definitely think it's going to happen. I think Vegas will most certainly get a team. I would just like to see, like for instance, if it were between Vegas and Portland, MLB is going to pick Vegas, but I'd rather see Portland get it. Now, running down here, we are rapidly running out of time, so. Instead of asking our fun questions to a guest, as we normally would, we're going to ask them to each other this time. And another surprise, these are my questions this week. So (laughs) I guess that means I will start it off as luckily I am safe as my wife has just left the room. So first things first, I will ask the question, Doc, what is your least favorite food that your wife cooks? And what is your favorite? All right. So, um, I have learned a lot from, from my wife about how to, um, how to eat healthy and eat, eat properly. You know, I was, uh, was a bachelor and, and just kind of eating, eating a whole lot of what, whatever. And now like just looking, looking back on things, I've, uh, I've learned a lot about how to eat and I've tried a lot of things that I I'd never thought that I would wind up, wind up trying. And, and most of the stuff that, that gets made in our house is stuff that we have collaborated on over the years. We kind of have like a, there's like a safe level of things that we will, um, we will try and we will not. So there's not a lot of things that I am forced to try that I don't like, but I will tell you this. My wife loves beets. I hate beets. I hate them. I won't eat them. It's like a running joke in my house that it's like punishment. Eating beets is like punishment. I can see that. But as for, you know what I mean? They're they're like, and I, dude, I've come I've come so far with, with certain certain things that I used to say like I'm not even trying that. But I and I just I have I have really grown into into certain foods. Beets, 
I will not turn the corner on beets. Horseradish is in that same category. I just, I hate it. But as far as things that she makes that I, that I like, um, I've never known anybody who cooks a piece of salmon better than she does. Oh, there you go. That's a, that's a strong answer there. I feel like you were kind of dodging the first part of the question, which is probably fairly smart. Uh, you picked. She a, might be right outside the room. I, I don't know for you, sure. You picked a vegetable, which I thought was kind of weak, but what, whatever. <laughs> no, I mean we 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 eat good in this house. We we are very particular about what we eat, and we uh, we've taken a, a long time to to refine our approach to food. But what about you? There's a few. Um, my wife, there's there's she's not really a middle ground cook. It's either outstanding or horrible. Um, <laughs> um, but we, we like a few different things. And I, growing up, my dad is an extremely picky eater. So we would eat pretty much the same stuff nightly. So we would have uh, a hamburger day, a taco day, a chicken day, and, and so on and so forth. Pretty much forever. Um, I Sarah loves roast. I hate roast absolutely cannot stand it i don't like really i hate it it's stringy meat it's bad meat you're eating it because you you let it stew in a pot for six hours so it gets soft because the meat in and of itself is horrible um i I don't like roast like she likes beef stew i happen to think that uh or she's done beef stew and vegetable stew i will not eat that because i believe soup is not a meal it is just water with some chunks thrown in. Um, <laughs> I got to get you some better soup. But like the only soup that I enjoy eating is French onion soup. Um, but the number one thing that I hate more than any other food that I have had to eat fairly consistently over my life and that I will not eat now, corned beef. I have hated it since I was since I first had it, whether my dad loved corned beef, my brother loves it. So my mom would make it there. My grandmother loves it. Sarah loves it. I will not eat it. I would, I will go hungry rather than eat corned beef. No, I, I actually think that that's a pretty strong call. Um, I don't, I don't think that that would find a way on, onto a menu in my house. So I, I haven't had to express my distaste for it, but I, I, yeah, I think, Corned beef is probably on the unacceptable list. And if you're looking for a vegetable, it'd be Brussels sprouts. Easy. They smell so horrible. I cannot stand the smell of Brussels sprouts. Uh, Dog, you crazy. You are crazy. They smell roasted so Brussels bad. Sprouts. They smell so bad. Nah. Roasted Brussels sprouts, you got, you got to do them the right way. You got to season them just right. And if you, you flake the leaves off and you roast them on a pan, they smell like popcorn. They taste like popcorn, too. You are crazy. Brussels I'm talking about steamed Brussels sprouts, which is what happens in the short household. They smell... Horrible. They smell like cabbage because they basically are just little cabbages, and I don't like cabbage. But as for what she cooks well, she makes the absolute best shrimp and grits I've ever had. And I've had shrimp and grits from a number of places. I've had it from very expensive places, very expensive seafood places, and Cajun places. Sarah's, I I am not lying. If I entered it into a contest with these places, would win. It is the best meal I've ever eaten. And I will literally eat myself sick. That's strong praise. It, she adds, uh, she does it in three different layers. Now it's not healthy for you at all, but I don't care. Cause I like very rich, awesome, good tasting food. Um, she'll start with bacon and she'll get that up nice and crispy. 
She'll leave the bacon grease in the pan, and then she'll cook andouille sausage in that, which adds its own to it, and then she cooks the shrimp in that. She makes her own sauce. It's very creamy, but she'll make it with a little bit of spice in there, too. Um, mix that in with the grits afterwards and mix it all up together, and it is the absolute best meal ever. I would I would eat it every single day, every single meal if I could. That does sound delicious, but my blood pressure spiked just hearing the ingredients. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. It, it is full-on southern food, my friend. Oh, for sure. For sure. It is as southern as biscuits and gravy. Also delicious. Exactly. Moving on. This one, I don't know why I thought of this today. It just popped into my head. If you had your childhood dream job, what would you be doing? I used to, um, when I was a kid, I had, you know, we, I feel like I bring this up every week, but I, I, I swear it's relevant every time. Um, when I was a kid, we, I lived in Turkey and I had this, this little journal that, uh, I used to just write stories about, but I mean, I wasn't like making up characters. This was like, I was inventing like baseball games and football games and stuff. And I, I was like walking my way through stories of, of how things would go. Like I have wanted to write about baseball my entire life. So I know that I'm not like Rosenthal or John Hayman who just will find any excuse to hate on the bridge or whatever. But like the fact that over the past six months that I've been able to do some writing, like it's not, not a full-time job. It's, it's, it's a hobby, but like, that's kind of it. You know what I mean? Like, it's so cool to have an outlet to, to actually do that stuff. And, and I used to always want to be a guitar player in a rock band and I got to do that too. So, so like, I'm, I'm kind of doing it as, as my hobbies. But if you told me that, um, my childhood dream job was going to be compliance auditor for an accounting firm, which is what my real job is, then I would have told you to go kick rocks or fly. <laughs> or whatever. What about you? I would be a ninja slash professional <laughs> baseball player slash snake wrangler. <laughs> I think you can do like two of those at a time, but I think pulling off all three is going to be a lot of work. Oh, I, yeah. Being the snake wrangler would be the hardest one out of the three because being a ninja, you're stealthy. So what better way to blend in than being by being a famous baseball player? Uh no lie, baseball player was my first ever dream from the time I was about two years old. That was uh, all I ever really cared about being, and then I loved ninjas. Still do. Ninjas are still cool, but back in the day, you could see old Dylan running around with a ninja sword in one hand, a mullet, I'm sorry to say, um, <laughs> and a baseball glove. Oh man! So like between the between the ninja sword and the baseball bat and the snakes, you're gonna have your like literally ha- have your hands full. Exactly. You know, there there's. Yeah. I, I was a weird. I didn't really ever get into cops and robbers as much, or you know, cowboys and Indians. That was never really my thing. I'd play those games, but not not to where like, oh, I want to be a cowboy when I grow up. I never really cared about that. <laughs> I you know where where are the paychecks if you're like a full time cowboy. How do you sustain that? Or, or is that recreational too? Wouldn't it? It'd be cattle rustling. Well, I well that's Kim. So. He's he's a farmer. He's he's kind of in that same boat. Well, I'm just I'm trying to picture like is there is there some other somebody else that has like my regular day job, but instead of like you know writing about <laughs> baseball and playing music <laughs> as a hobby, he's like, 
oh, weekend cowboy or, or whatever. Right. I don't know how that works. Weekly cowboy, uh, cash my checks on the 15th. Yeah, right. right. So he's, he's really worried about his benefits when he's like uh, out on the range. What is your number one grammatical pet peeve? Oh, man, there are so many. I am a I am a if anybody has ever read anything that I have posted, I said last week that somebody once told me that I talk like a book and I thought it was a compliment and it was not. Um, if you read anything I post, you will see my vocabulary is, is a little bit large. Um, I have a nasty habit of using words that because I read books like that, that, that seem normal to me and are not are stupid. So I cannot stand to see when somebody uses, and it's a stupid thing to get pissed about, but when somebody uses a plural possessive pronoun or a plural possessive word, and they don't do the apostrophe or they add the apostrophe before, or when they like, when they say Dylan's Dylan's going to do this. And then they put the apostrophe before the S, but then they say that's Dylan's or whatever. They'll, they'll do it with a word that say a name that ends with an S and they'll put the apostrophe in the wrong place. Yeah. Or, and this is the other one. And this is, this is purely my fault for getting this angry. When people forget the Oxford comma, Oh yeah, dude. I don't know what type of monster doesn't use an Oxford comma. I can't read. I can't. I can't read whatever whatever else they do. I can't finish it. I just stare at that space where the comma is supposed to be. And uh, yeah, I I actually I had not considered that one. Um, I, I've got the, the your versus your thing. Obviously, I there, mean, there, there. Oh, 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 they're there and there. That those where that's another one too. That that is also bad. But you know which one actually makes me want to put my fist through a wall is that the punctuation goes on the inside of, of the, the parentheses. Mark. Yes, or the quotation mark. Like, yes, like, and I I get like I'm I get it. I get why that I don't remember that being like beat into my head during elementary school or middle school or whenever it was that, that that was taught to me. But for some reason, every time I see it, I'm like, my, my view of people will actually change by whether or not they will put the, <laughs> put the period on the outside of the quotation mark. It Absolutely. drives me insane. Absolutely. Oh man. So, or people that, uh, that when they're quoting somebody, they don't capitalize it inside the, the quotation mark. Yeah, that that I mean, that one maybe not quite as much, but not not for me, not for me anyway. But that just the the your your thing, like it 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 makes it makes my palms sweat. (laughs) I've got another one too. When somebody wants to use a quote and they don't want to use like a portion of the quote, so they'll say the part that they wanted in quotations in the quotations, and then say the other part that they wanted instead of using ellipses. Oh yeah, ellipses are very nuanced, man. You gotta know just how to use them. I mean, it's not that nuanced. It literally just means it means more to say. It means more. <laughs> that's all it means. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's true. That's true. We're gonna have to move off that because that uh, there's there's probably twenty thousand things that bug me. So we'll have to move on to the next question. Strong question. No, no good. I'm I'm uh, I, I will put that on the on the recurring questions. Last question for for this particular segment. Who is your favorite Muppet? Oh, it's easy. It's Kermit. Easy. I was never really big into the Muppets. So, like, 
calling it a quote unquote favorite is, is like the one that I can stand the most because I, I never watched the show very much. Uh, I never did the books or anything like that. I wasn't a big Muppets fan, but Kermit was the one because the voice I like. I thought the voice was I thought the voice was hilarious. No, and you know, I I was different generation. I grew up on a great Muppet caper and Muppets take Manhattan. I remember I saw Muppet Treasure Island in the theater. I was like fifteen. I had no reason, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but but I, I I grew up on them and uh, I I just love them. And um, for me, it's the Swedish Chef. I'm, I'm always partial to Beaker and Dr. Honeydew. That's pretty good um, ones too. But that would be like for my generation, they'd be like asking which was my favorite Ninja Turtle. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, who's your favorite Ninja? Turtle? Oh, that's Leonardo. Easy. I mean, it goes in verified rankings. It's Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo, everyone else, Donatello. <laughs> I, I'm trying. I'm trying to think whether or not. Cause I, I had some, some Ninja Turtles, uh, Ninja Turtles in my, uh, in my youth too. I think I was nine when secret of the ooze came out, which I incredible live action movies. Uh, fun fact. I didn't watch Barney as a kid. I watched the Ninja Turtles cartoon, Ninja Turtles, and then like power Rangers for like two years, but Ninja Turtles. Now I, I've never, never watched power Rangers. I did. I did watch some Ninja Turtles cartoons. I, I saw, um, I saw both of the the '90s version of the Ninja Turtles movies in the theater, including um, the one with uh, Vanilla Ice. Go Ninja yeah, Go! Yeah, that's Secret of the Ooze. There's three movies. Yeah. Wait, was there? A, yeah, there's a third. Like one. A third one? Yeah. I feel like I've been robbed of this for the last 25. Oh, years. I have all three on DVD, on VHS, and downloaded on my phone. Well, I'm going to need to get my hands on the third one. Oh, next time we meet up, I will I will loan you the DVD. No, that's that would be much appreciated. It's not. I'll, I'll warn you, it's not as good as the first and second one, but it's worth a watch. I mean, The Godfather isn't as good as the first Ninja Turtles movie. Well, that's true, and I am not ashamed to say it. But anyway, <laughs> who was your favorite turtle? Leonardo, I'm guessing, should be. It's the only correct I answer. Th- I feel like uh, I feel like Raphael was at the top of my power rankings. I, I too I, I share your um, your distaste for Donatello. I think Bebop and Rocksteady were were very <laughs> underrated right characters. Right up there, yes, sir. Um, and uh, and Shredder was a was a pretty gnarly villain. Yeah, he I was. Feel like the cartoon ones, Krang was funny too. Yeah, I, the Shredder was like the the Shrike in the Hyperion books, but that's right. You you haven't you haven't read Hyperion, so I actually I will, ordered will, it. By the way, I will I will trade you a copy of Hyperion for your copy of of uh, the Ninja Turtles DVD. Deal. That there way, I've go. got something for collateral. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, knowing the speed at which you read books, you will probably be through the book by the time I finish the ninety minute movie. <laughs> maybe maybe all right and on that note by the way we've hit an hour and a half on this podcast so we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up uh my god <laughs> funny what happens to us every time we get on a roll but that's why you guys listen to us you know you don't get this niche turtles talk on any other podcast so everybody that's made it to the end and sat through the glorious questions we thank you we love you we appreciate you don't forget you can take us wherever you want to go well, on all the apps. You can take us, especially the new Podbean app. Download that on your phone. You can find just about any podcast out there. But most importantly, you can find ours. Uh, 
you can follow us on Twitter at TPS underscore uh, at TPS underscore podcast. I keep wanting to give my last name for it or at Dylan X short for me at Braves Herbert for Doc. We appreciate you guys so much. We'll be back next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.